As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians. And we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Uh, who's had a good week? This is practice, right? So put your right hand up for the first question. Who's had a good week? Who knows Jesus is Lord? Left hand. All right. Uh, right hand, who's married? Uh, left hand, you're not. Okay, but you're all good. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage today. Uh, just let me apologise up front that uh, for some who are not married or not married yet, uh, I just trust that the uh, the content that you hear at least can be applied somewhere in your life. Uh, we are, will be in 1 Corinthians 7. You can open your Bibles there now. We're going to pray in a moment. But uh, my desire today is to honour God in how God views relationships. In particular, uh, the relationship of marriage. But marriage is to mirror our relationship with God. So the things that I might say uh, kind of particularly around marriage actually echoes in relationship. Uh, you good with that? Okay, let's pray. Father, we just want to honour you in every part of our lives. We want to honour you in the dedication of our heart and our desire to see relationships flourish in our families, in our community, in our world. We know, Lord God, that you created for a very special purpose. And uh, God, we know that your creation was to give you glory that creation groans in glory for you. And then uh, people come because you have a, a plan and a desire for people. And in the midst of that, we want to pray for all people and we want to ask your goodness for people. We thank you for Jesus Christ who died on the cross. We thank you for his obedience even unto death. And we recognise, Lord, that he died young, but for purpose. And I want to pray for a couple of people that are a little older than Jesus' 33 years and lived good lives and coming to a, a stage of life where their body is tired. I want to pray for Leon Kruger and I want to ask on his behalf, Lord, that you receive him home with joy. And for Renee, who has been for some time now struggling with uh, Leon's health and how to care for him sitting at his bedside. Lord, would you bless that family? Lord, would you put your hand on the extended family and on us as we care for them? 
I want to thank you particularly for Ken and Rosemary who have cared for them so faithfully. Lord, uh, may Leon, Renee be a great witness to us of how to live a life and give glory to Jesus. And uh, Lord, I want to pray for Tony, for Tony Grice, for Karen, for the family. I want to pray for their friends, those close friends that are struggling with Tony's health as Tony echoes the goodness and the faithfulness of you, his God. Lord, we want to pray for all people in relationship that we might give you honour and praise in how we live. All to your glory, Lord Jesus. And as we open 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today, it's our desire to learn more about the, the fullness, the purpose of a marriage relationship, but the fullness of relationship and how we can live lives to honour one another, but most of all to honour you. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what is good about marriage? Well, I want to tell you lots of things I've learned. Uh, let us read these first five verses of chapter 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. I'd like to say that's it and run off this stage right now. And we will get back to that verse a little while. Uh, but I want to start with a fictional story. Four people are in a collision. There's the perfect woman, the perfect man, the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. So here's the question, who comes out without a scratch? Well, the perfect woman, of course, because the others don't exist. Only a man can say that, all right? And you can see some photoshopping going on in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, that was easy. It was an easy question. You should have got that, ladies. I have a comeback for the fellas. Two things that blokes want their ladies to hear. Whenever we go out, anything you wear is amazing. And if something I said can be interpreted way, uh, two ways, believe me, I meant the other way. <laughs> Love is at the top of the biblical list of action points. It's on the all-time best list of things to master. There's always been in the Bible a description of three types of love, not so much categories, but three uh, levels, types of love. God has arranged it perfectly that way. Three descriptions of love in the scriptures. The first is agape love, which is a self-giving love, the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. 
and it motivates people to sacrificial acts of kindness and grace-giving. Agape love is God love. There is no love in our world without God. You got that, yeah? And God gives us this capacity to love, not uh, so much as he loves, but to love like him. All right, and one day we will have full capacity in glory to be able to love appropriately. We're restricted because of our humanity and the, uh, the distortions in our world. But I believe God is a loving God and enables us to live in sac- self-sacrificing ways. And then there's uh, what could be described as the very human love. Philia. I think the easiest way to understand this is friendship. And it's the love that uh, Jonathan has for David and David has for Jonathan in the scriptures. Uh, A beautiful friendship expression that's genuine and deep. And then there's Eros love, which we'll try not to talk about for too long, that we have for each other as a strong sexual desire, a special love that's different and set apart and should be expressed within a loving marriage relationship. What's good about marriage is that all three of these can be expressed. The the three uh, demonstrative and beautiful expressions of love that we see in the scriptures can be experienced in marriage. Uh, we have an awesome friendship experience and the motivation for sacrificing in special ways that affirm one another. And we also have this eros type of love. So it's a Greek word and uh, that's where we get the word erotic from. And it's a sensual love between a husband and a wife, the love between people who are married. And today I want to share with you what God's word has to say about marriage. Uh, Really just a few uh, things for your encouragement. And back into 1 Corinthians, God has a perfect scripture for us who are married. Paul's addressed a lot of issues. And in this section of 1 Corinthians, Paul answers specific questions that the Corinthian Christians had asked him. Uh, We assume that Paul had received a letter or some correspondence asking for clarification on various issues because we see right there in verse 1, now for matters you wrote about, there's a desire for information and Paul is responding. The first one was marriage and uh, we need to remember this is the early church. So they didn't have the historical knowledge that we sit here with today. They didn't have my library on books uh, about marriage. They didn't have the Alpha course or access to trained counsellors. These were young people of faith and they wanted some guidance on marriage. And if we didn't have the scriptures and the valuable help and counselling to apply uh, biblical values for marriage, how would we know what God desires for us in relationship? 
if we didn't have the scriptures, we have nothing. If, if we didn't have people who write on the basis of scripture, we have very little. This is all their view, their knowledge in their world. And I'm thankful that they asked for help because it's left some really clear guidance for us to follow. This is the context they're living in, the culture at that time, and the lifestyle was countercultural to healthy Christian living. So Paul responds, and a little bit of background is helpful. Marriage in the Roman world was much different than it is for us today. Uh, a little bit of explanation, just some background. In the Roman world, slaves had no rights. They didn't even have the right to marry. The owner controlled what they did, even when it came to relationships. And if slaves wanted to be together, they'd ask the owner if they could share a tent. And the owner had the power to allow it or not. And that was called tent companionship back in the day. Nothing binding and a slight variation known as contubernium, which enabled a marital relationship between a free citizen and a slave or between two slaves. Right across the the Roman Empire at the time. And there was also a common law marriage called usus. When a man and a woman had lived together for a year, they were considered married if they were not slaves. And then there was, well, let me just put it out there, probably my preferred type called contemptio in menum. And this involved the father selling the daughter to a prospective husband. I've got three daughters. Good old dowry. That would come in handy. Not at all. Here, there's a fourth marriage type that was known back in the day as conferatio, which involved a ceremony and vows. Interesting that our marriage ceremony and traditions can be tracked back to this. Loosely modelled after this Roman style of marriage. But sadly, across all the variables that allowed people, male and female, to live together, divorce was rampant in the Roman world. These new Christians were bringing all of this culture into the church. Hence the question, what, is, what should we do in marriage? They were just living what they knew was normal for them in their time. And they wanted to know, this is the really good bit, they wanted to know what God desired for marriage. Let's look at just the first part of Paul's answer. So we're back in 1 Corinthians 7 and the first five verses. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, It is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfil his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfil her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body 
to his wife. Now, verse 5, speaking to married couples, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. And afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul tells them, if you can stay celibate, go there. It'll free you to spend more time in your commitment to God. But if you cannot stay celibate, do not fall into the sexual immorality that was rampant at that time. Find a husband or a wife to share your life with. And then he goes on to tell them three things that should be present in a marriage. I'm going to summarise these with three words. They don't all start with C, but the first one does. Look at verse 2 again. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And the word is commitment. You should commit to each other, no matter what happens. So Tracy's been doing some research. Uh, She knew that I was preaching on marriage this week and so uh, she had spotted something and brought it to my attention. I mentioned that because if I, I have not got the courage to say this without that. There's a group of women from Perth. They're attending a seminar on how to live in a loving relationship with their husbands. Why would there be such a thing? So context, they are at a seminar uh, learning about loving relationships with their spouse. And the question is raised, how many of you love your husbands? Right? Women raised their hands. Then they were asked, when was the last time you told your husband you loved him? Well, not so many hands, but a few voices. Uh, Some answered today or yesterday. Some couldn't remember. And the women were then told to take out their phones and text their husbands. Something like this. I love you, sweetheart. Just that, nothing else. Here's where it gets interesting. Then they were instructed to exchange phones and read aloud the return text message that appeared. (laughs) There's some pretty wild responses. Let me share with you just a couple. Anybody got an orange or an apple or a rotten tomato? Please look at somebody else. Who is this? Was one of them. And A, mother of my children, are you sick? What's happening? Yeah, and I love you too, but what's wrong? You might like this one. What happened? Is the car okay? And this one's got a bite. I don't understand what you mean. 
Are you okay? What did you do? Uh, don't beat around the bush. Just say how much you need. And finally, one from a husband who didn't get the Baptist memo. I thought we agreed you wouldn't drink during the day. <laughs> Commitment is almost a forgotten word in our society. So many make arrangements or contracts even until they're not convenient anymore. It seems that many do not want to even commit to marriage anymore. A couple of years ago, Australia had 112,000 marriages and 40,000 divorces. Divorce rates in 2017 were 5.2% of the population. The divorce percentage in 1975 was 4.6 per, uh, per thousand people. 4.6. And that has reduced to two in a in thousand. Interesting statistic, 35 years ago, 4.6, now only two in a thousand. Reason? Are so many people getting married anymore? That keeps the divorce rates lower. The number of couples living together increased from 16% in 1976 to 80.8% in 2016. And this statistic might surprise you. Australia has seen a dramatic change in the type of marriage ceremony performed over the past 100 years. In 1902, 96% of weddings were performed by a priest or a pastor. There was only 4% of celebrants. In 1999, we got over halfway of weddings conducted by civil celebrants. And in 2017, 78% of weddings were conducted by civil servants and that has continued to rise. Showing this is currently the preferred model for marriages. So only 20% of the people that are choosing marriage are actually knocking on the church of a door. When we think that marriage is traditionally the place of the church. No, not anymore. And this graph shows the impact upon families. Just under 82% of families, up to two children, get divorced. And 18%, therefore, with multiple siblings. So it would seem to me that divorce is happening after the second child in over 80% of cases. So Paul has a message to families and specifically parents back in the first century that's applicable for us today. And Paul tells them that you must commit to one another. And throughout the scripture, God's relationship to his people is talked about in terms of a marriage relationship. Commitment, love and passion are the elements of a relationship with God. And that is the clear picture of his design for marriage. And our marriages are to mirror the image of our relationship with God. Remember that God has first committed to us in relationship, firstly through creation. 
and then the agape love gift of his son, Jesus. And the greatest thing that we experience from God is his loving commitment to us. God uses a marriage relationship to teach us about his commitment to us. So our commitment to marriage should follow. My daughter's favourite book is Hosea. God has the prophet Hosea marry a prostitute named Gomer. And the first three chapters of the book of Hosea tell of the commitment that Hosea makes to Gomer. And no matter what, Hosea fulfills that commitment. It's a love story. Read it later. They had three children together. And then Gomer went back to a life of prostitution. But Hosea kept his commitment and went after her and brought her home. Hosea was committed to the marriage that God had provided him and he fought for his marriage. And here's the thing. Paul tells the Corinthian church and us that we must commit to each other. We must be committed to one another. And just like Hosea, we must be willing to fight for our relationship. We must fight for our marriage. Paul writes that we are not only to be committed to each other, but also we are to honour one another in our marriage. We really should honour each other. Look at verse 4 with me. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And as I've thought about this and what it requires of us, I see it going much further than behaviour. This kind of thinking and action is mandatory in a married relationship. We need, we must honour one another. I belong to you and you belong to me within a marriage. In a wedding ceremony, and we have three in our fellowship over the next month or so, at some point in the ceremony, I'm going to turn to the groom and say something like, and you may have heard this before, will you love her, comfort her, honour and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep yourself only to her so long as you both shall live. Remember? The fulfilment of this promise is giving honour and respect and functioning in love. It's at the heart of a great marriage. And then I ask the bride the same question. You see, we've all promised to honour one another. But what does it mean? It means many things, but most of all, I will honour you and only you. It requires the action activity of love. And we are to act in a loving way that brings honour upon the other. And the intimacy that God created between a husband and a wife brings honour to the marriage. It's a beautiful thing. I am yours and you are mine. I will honour my commitment to you. And I will further honour you by keeping myself for you and only you. I will honour and care for you. 
You are valuable to me. And when you value something, you treat it with special care. You handle it gently. Now, Trace and I don't have grandchildren. It's a sore point. Many of you do. And you may relate to what I'm going to say. A grandfather explains it. We've got a lot of Lego and a plastic bin of toys in the lounge. It's for the grandkids to play with when they come over. And we keep other items on the bottom shelf of our uh, place where we live so the granddaughters can play with them also. They get it out, they throw it on the floor, they bang it and sometimes throw it and usually leave it laying when they're done with it. Anybody? But we don't care because it's expendable and we love watching them play. But the other day, one of the girls came into the living room, picked up a precious glass bowl from the table and quick as a flash, everybody in the room moved towards that vase. Her mother got there first and put her hands on both sides of the bowl and calmly explained that this was valuable and not to touch it. Some things are valuable and we should handle them carefully. The relationship between a husband and a wife is very valuable. Remember creation? It's good, 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 very good. So in our marriages, we don't play. We don't play around. We treat it very, very, very valuable. Paul writes, and we should honour each other in our marriages. And he continues, not only should we have commitment and honour, we should have forgiveness. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer and afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Don't deprive each other of what God has given to you as a married couple. It's fine to focus on prayer, fine to focus on ministry, but for a time, and your marriage should be a relationship of love and forgiveness, not one of punishment. This is a story of an older woman celebrating a golden wedding anniversary and someone asks her the secret to a long and happy marriage. She smiles and said, well, <laughs> on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of 10 of my husband's faults, uh, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. And one of the relatives jokingly asked her, what were some of the faults? And have you still got that list? And her answer was, well, to tell you the truth, I never got around to writing a list. But whenever my husband did something that made me really mad or one of those idiosyncrasies that he has, I just say to myself, lucky for him, that's on my list of 10. Isn't that beautiful? 
because it doesn't matter what he does, I'm going to forgive him. Forgiveness is an attitude that turns into an action. And our marriages must mirror the forgiveness that God has shown us. Lucky for you, you, God has forgiven you. True? And as you think of how many times God has forgiven you, it should make forgiveness in your marriage pretty easy. You may feel that your husband or wife does not deserve to be forgiven. Well, do you deserve to be forgiven by God? Forgiveness isn't about whether we deserve it or not. You may have been hurt deeply and wounded by your spouse. And I need to ask myself a question. Have I ever wounded the heart of God? It's good again to remember that marriage should mirror a relationship with God. So much we can learn and apply right there, yeah? It's what forgiveness is all about. It's a model to the world of God's relationship with us. We forgive each other. He forgives us. We extend grace to each other for the little and the larger grievances and even the annoying mannerisms. And we grow together. Just as God forgives and we grow to be more like him, we need to forgive our spouses. Can I ask you to stand? And... uh, Alicia and Jill coming back up. Maybe you'd like to pray this with me. And for those who are single again or not married or not yet married, maybe you could pray this about a friend. But for those of us who are married, pray this with me. Lord God, Show me how to love my spouse. Increase my love for them. Help me to see them as you see them. Show me how I can meet their needs, even if my needs are not being entirely met. Help me to love as you love them. And Lord, Lord God, please love my spouse through me. Paul tells the Corinthian believers that their marriages should be based on commitment, honour and forgiveness. If you need prayer today, I invite you during this song just to pop out the front here. Someone will come and stand with you and pray with you. If you want some private prayer, there'll be somebody uh, over to the back right-hand side. There's some couches there. You can wander in there and someone will come in and pray with you. But here's your opportunity. Let's love as God intends for us to love. Let's apply his goodness, the goodness that he gives us, that we 
have an abundance of to give to one another. I pray God's blessing in Jesus' name.